Hello and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast. I'm Steve Hallfish. I'm a feature film editor and discuss the art and craft of film editing with my colleagues in film and TV. In this episode, I'm talking with Dan Crinian, ACE. Dan recently was nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award and won an Ace Eddie Award for Best Edited Drama Series for Commercial Television for one of his episodes of Killing Eve called Desperate Times. Dan's previous work includes episodes of Blackpool, Spooks, Last Kingdom, Downton Abbey, and Silent Witness. Our discussion does cover specific scenes from his Eddie-winning episode of Killing Eve called Desperate Times, which is Season 2, Episode 4. You can watch the whole episode on BBC America through YouTube TV or Sling TV or Hulu. You might get a little bit more out of listening to this podcast by watching Season 2, Episode 4 first, or at least right after. We spoke over Skype with Dan calling in from his home outside of London. What kind of a commute does that make for you to get into um, to get into work to whatever post house you're at? Uh, well, into town, it's about 40 minutes on the train, um, which is not too bad. It's about a good length of a good episode. So I can <laughs> <laughs> so I can generally catch up. Most people complain that it takes too long, but I quite like it. So it's perfect for me. Where is Killing Eve out of? I know there's a bunch of great uh, Molinaire and various post houses. Is that where you're cutting the show? Yeah, Molinaire for the last, all three seasons, actually. The edits been there and they've done all of the sound and post and picture and everything. So, yeah, it's all in-house. Not a bad guess for a guy from Chicago. Yeah, pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't know that. That was a total guess. Oh, well, there you go. Well, they'll be very pleased that you know. <laughs> and it looks like a beautiful place. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's a re- I mean, it's a fantastic post house. I mean, I've got a long relationship there with them. Over the years as an assistant and as an editor, I've always I've sort of spent a lot of time there. There are a lot of other shows that cut there. Do you get a chance to like hang out and talk shop with other people or is the, you're, you get your head down and nose to the grindstone? You know what editors are like. They, they sort of Duck their heads out every now and then, have a little moan about something. Um, <laughs> have and, a little uh, moan yeah. about something. That could be the quote yeah. of the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll love me for that, definitely. I'll, I'll, I'll include myself into that as well. The second season series, we actually shared the floor of The Crown. They were editing sort of latest series of that at the time. This year we're with um, some guys from AMC, uh, AMC who are doing a new show for AMC, the name of which escapes me at the moment. So they were in the middle of that. Um, so it's a busy place. Yeah, it's, it's well, it was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was and then, and then became quiet, yeah. Do you think they're going to try to have you edit from home? What, what are the remote editing possibilities for you? I think so. I mean, I actually finished two weeks ago. So I literally locked episode eight of Killing Eve literally the weekend before the shutdown came about. So I finished and I was due to start a job called Pennyworth for Warner Brothers. And that got postponed indefinitely. There's no filming going on in the UK at the moment for obvious reasons. But I do know people who are in Fine Cut who are working remotely and all of the post-production Killing Eve, actually, is working remotely mm. now. So they're piecing together the last two episodes completely remotely. Interesting. Yeah. Well, con- congratulations on your Ace Eddie. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, that was um, fantastic. Yeah, that was um, a very wonderful, lovely surprise. It was great. And I had a fantastic time. I, too, I had a lovely time in Los Angeles. It was a very lovely, generous night. So I had a very good time. Yeah, it was good. That's great. I would love to hear that. Um, so I just watched the episode, so I'm probably even more familiar with it than you are, maybe. Oh, well, do you know what's <laughs> weird? I'll tell you what, this, 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 it's strange. They're re-showing Killing Eve at the moment in readiness for this, the new season coming out. And I plonked myself down and um, actually that episode was on. So I actually, for the first time in about... I don't know, six months or so, I actually watched it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've familiarized myself again with it. All right, well, we'll be able to have a little discussion because I did want to talk about some specifics. If you can't remember particulars, then, you know, we talk in generalities and, and I think people just like the conversation about the art. Um, cool. I love the shot choices in the, the opening kind of scene. It's all about, it's all going according to plan 
that scene with Karen. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, you know, there's a great push in as she says, it's all going to according to plan, is it? You know, there's yeah. this nice push in. And you use some interesting choices instead of like staying in the kind of working from wide shot to close up, you go out to another wide shot again. Talk to me about the show's feel and its tone and some of your choices as you're trying to edit the show together. I think that scene in particular was led by performance, mm-hmm. dare I say. We worked to get a rhythmic performance, so that would, in some respects, make it feel like the, the shot choices were sporadic. Mm. But I think I'm a bit like that anyway. I mean, especially in a show like Killing Eve, I think performance is key. Yeah. And I am, I'm sort of very led by performance in the sense that I really want to go hunting for what Jodie's doing and what Sandra's doing. And then probably work backwards in the sense then of, okay, am I going to get some sort of visual rhythm into it a bit? So I think in that particular first scene, it was very performance-led, getting the best performances from, certainly from our actors. And then Fiona, that pushing on Fiona is just one of those moments when you look at all the rushes, you go, actually, whatever I do, I have to, I have to put that in somewhere. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And and it, you get completely. Yeah, you get scared that if you if you don't have that moment in, it's going to burn into your soul for the rest of your life that you didn't put it in <laughs> and you didn't work it in. So, and you get so much of that from Killing Eve in general. And then, as everyone knows who edits, you then we obviously go through a fine cut process, which is then answering questions to producers and execs and bringing time down. So, and also. Uh, performance questions from execs and producers. So sometimes the sort of eclectic nature of the shots may be fed by the fact that people are looking for a different performance and stuff. At the end of this one, I would have cut seven episodes of it. It's a show that you really get into in terms of, we've sort of built up an idea of it being very kind of chaotic, almost. Do you know what I mean? In in the sense that... um, our exec producer Sally Weaver Gentle always talks about she thinks it's working well when it feels a little bit rough around the edges in some respects. So whilst there's lots of beautiful shots which are very stylized and very uh, measured and mannered, there's also a chaos in it. And I think we sort of feed into that a bit. And so sometimes shot choices may feel a little bit out of sync or out of kilter, but in some respects it's that's what we're trying to do sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely how I felt. Like there was a, there was just a cut, I think, immediately after that cut, which was a nice push in into Karen, that character, Karen. The reverse was a pretty wide shot instead yeah. of a, a, a matching close up on her, the person she was talking to. Yeah, I mean, that scene also is about vying between control of stuff, isn't it? And distance and closeness. And they're, they're two. You know, they're two spooks talking to each other in a seemingly knowing way. But at the same time, there is distance and there's boss and there's anger and there's sort of subtext. So you kind of play around with that. You know, we'd like, I'd like to say that was completely how I went about it, but also performance. It was yeah. definitely about performance. There. And performance-wise and shot selection-wise, do you only really have a single camera or are they shooting a lot of that on, in two cam? Uh, they, they do a fair amount in two cam. Not always, but a, a fair amount because of time. Sure. Pressure's probably more than anything. And do they favor a two camera that is a wide and a close on the same person or are they giving you the crossing shots at the same time? Predominantly what they would do, say, for instance, if you've got a dialogue scene, I'm thinking back to what I've just cut, you'd largely have probably a low angle mid shot and then maybe a high angle top shot. Do you know what I mean? Of the so same character. On, of, the, of the same character. Yeah. Which I kind of like also because that allows you to... I like jumping down the line. I know some people don't, but I enjoy jumping down the line and playing with that as well Mm -hmm. to sort of emphasise moments and sort of build up energy in a scene. So I quite enjoy it. And it's it's a lot handier when you've got the two shots on the same person. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's just easier to cut and get into a rhythm of trying to cut. And to go backwards a little bit, I know we're kind of really on the, what's the first scene, but the beginning of the episode, right, is her, Karen, waiting in the office to be let in. <laughs> what, was it scripted that way? And it, it, that's kind of a, you know, I think it's a wonderful moment. You know, she's reading a, yeah. a funny magazine and <laughs> she's obviously being, you know, made to wait. So it has a, 
it certainly has a purpose in the story and it definitely has a purpose in character, but it's yeah. just, it's, there's nothing like, what's the, why have that scene in the show? <laughs> and I'm, a, I'm asking not uh, no, be, I know, yeah. I love that. No, I love that yeah. because it sort of reminds me of discussions constantly that you have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I loved it from the off because I think particularly the character of the guy who's the receptionist <laughs> stroke who's sort of staring at her. And I think we had it longer for a while. We had this sort of really weird another two sort of rounds of standoff between him. It's one of those moments where you watch the rushes and you kind of go, oh, this is great. Then you do that thing where you start to say, oh, yeah, but why is it telling stories? You know, you go through those sort of processes. And I think what Killing Eve, for me, kind of the joy of Killing Eve is actually sort of saying, nah, do you know what? Let's have it in. Because it's, it was, it's, sort, of, it's sort of tonally as well, just another weird off moment. And if you're trying to, you know, loads of people try to say, dissect why it's a good show or why it's different, why it's that. And I think actually it's those moments which answer that question. You shouldn't, you know, in some respects, you don't really need it. In other respects, it's completely part of what the show is. It's the sort of fabric of it. And it just made us laugh. I mean, I can't, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to be really, but it just, it's, and it's sort of... And in the other one that's like, that, that's like that is coming out of that scene. There's a scene where it's just literally Karen walking away yeah. from the thing, but you're getting to see her yeah. thinking. Yeah. But yeah. there's no dialogue. There's no nah. story. Nah. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. But also, it depends on who you've got doing that, isn't it? I mean, when you've, you've got someone like Fiona Shaw who can, you know, walking across that bridge, she covers how many emotions. She sort of has the moment where she drops her, you know, you could see her face drop sort of minutely but perfectly and go, oh, my God, what am I going to do? To then that sort of shrug of her shoulders as she pulls back and then she's back on the game. And it's another rhythm. You know, I always sort of get boring about editing, about rhythms and stuff like that. And it's, it's especially that bridge moment, it's, it's a story rhythm, but it's, it's, you know, it's just... Sometimes just go with it because it's perfect and it's story. That is storytelling. Yeah, and well, I mean, as you were talking about rhythm, and it, even though there's no rhythm to the edit, really, it's a single shot. It's the rhythms of her internal yeah. to the shot, and then and and it adds to you know there's sort of internal scene rhythms, and then the overall wider rhythm. So you know, so then it feeds into the wider picture of the story. So you know, you always that, have that thing where you assemble a scene. And you think to yourself, oh, this is really working, this scene. But then when it's, once it's lumped together with the whole show as a, as a lump and you start to chip away at the whole show itself, the rhythm changes in it because it's, it's reacting to everything around it. So it is, you know, like you said, it's, it's internal rhythm and, there's, you know, cutting-wise, there's not much to do, but decision-wise in the wider picture is there's a lot to think about because, again, we could have cut that down a bit. We could have not had it. We could have done lots of things, but it just provided another little moment and geared us up to what is she about? Because we don't see her that much. We only see her a couple of times after that in the show, in that episode. But because we've teed her up for that moment, every time we then see her subsequently in that episode, you know that there's a, there's an, another game going on with her. So I think that's, yeah. And, you know, and sometimes stuff is just great to look at. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can try and explain it away, but it's just like our receptionist. You know, we just got somebody in that day who just hit the mark and made us all laugh. And we kept, and everyone kept sort of saying, oh, I think we should probably take this out. And then everyone would watch it again and laugh. And you sort of go, no, but it's not. Because... It's, you know, it's having that response on us, so it's going to have that response elsewhere. So, and just the, fa- and just the fact that she lifted up the magazine, I think it was called Dirt Wheels or something like that, which was just, it's just so incongruous and wonderful. And then she sort of tees herself up at the end as well, doesn't she? She sort of, before she goes in to see Zoe. So you get the idea of she's going into battle. In yeah, some she's way. stealing herself. Yeah. And then you, then you cut, and you had to, that had to be another one where in the rushes you're, you see the, 
the the funny looking socks popped oh, up on the desk. Exactly. And you're like, I've got to put that in there. Exactly. And you and you you're saying, oh, please pull focus, please pull focus, <laughs> please pull focus, like that. And you you get the, I don't know if this happened, but you get the first two takes going. Oh, you haven't pulled focus. What you're doing? And then they hit it on the third or fourth, and you go, oh, thank God for that. So. Yeah, it's 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 those moments. That's what you look for in Russia. Is you know, it's it's that connective, wonderful connective tissue. Yeah, and I'm I was glad. kind of kind of blessed <laughs> in that. In I'm glad show. I'm not the only one that talks to the camera operator long after he shot the scene. <laughs> pull, pull focus, pull focus, go, 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 yeah, go, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm a constant self dialogue in the cut room. It's embarrassing. It's <laughs> probably locked me up if you heard me. Tell me about the really fun needle drops in the show. Like the the one that's in, stuck in my head right now is like the, I don't know what it is German. Da 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 da. It's the angel, darling. Um, Which one's that? I can't remember the one that ended the episode. It was like it was a it was an Amer- American song. Oh yeah, in German. The angel. Yeah, oh, the angel. About all of yeah. that. We filmed Jody or Villanelle's part in they filmed it in Amsterdam first they did everything over there for her so the scene where you've got that move in on the mirror when she's in green she starts to cry and all that sort of stuff so that was filmed in Amsterdam and they didn't pick up the reverse of the scene of Sandra about two three weeks later so what we had was you know you send assembly out each week and to my directors and everyone else and I kind of, I mean, the shot was amazing on its own. If you're just going to watch an amazing shot of an actor, you know, going through that process, it's just a long push in. And then it, I can't remember how many it did, about three or four, but she was just immense in all of them. And the one we chose, which is about her crying and then laughing at her own tears and all that sort of stuff. So we thought it was kind of dramatic and it's about love and it's about, you know, and the show's obviously got a very... 60s you know 70s kitsch feel to it so we've got this amazing music supervisor and we just basically said to her can you sort of send us a load of tracks but can you send it in dutch and i think she sent us about six tracks and the second one down on the list was that angel and i just heard it and just went oh hello this is (laughs) this is a bit special so then i stuck the track and sent it to the director just for the track with just jody and she sort of came back and said, yeah, I know, this is, this is amazing. And then we sort of, then she sort of had to think about what she was going to do with Sandra on the other side because, you know, the, the music and, and sort of, it sort of, I don't know, I, I can't remember, I think Lisa probably had in mind to do that pushing an opposite, but it certainly sort of fed into it. And so by the time we um, came to shoot the reverse of it, the music was kind of... I think in people's heads, or certainly in Lisa's head, and I can remember that was the hardest scene to cut in the whole episode, bizarrely, which sounds hilarious. But it was it was the one I spent I, I cut fairly quickly and make decisions fairly quickly. But that one I hummed hard for a whole day, and it's literally only two shots, like the push in between the two of them. I was in agony because I just I just didn't want to get it wrong in any way. And I'd watch and go, oh, no, 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 I need to come out. No, 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 that's not. So I was just literally, it was just painful, painful, painful. So for people who haven't seen the episode, and hopefully they'll go check it out, it's uh, Sandra O. Oh, it's Eve looking at herself in a room with a two-way mirror, and she's looking at herself basically in a mirror, and it's cutting back and forth between her looking at a mirror and in a totally different country, um, Villanelle, Villanelle, the character Villanelle looking at herself in a mirror and they're going back and forth and there's nothing, there's no dialogue or anything for you to choose when to cut. You've got to cut based on these little micro expressions, right? Yeah. Just pacing. And it's a battle between the two. You know, it's about change in who's got the upper hand, you know. So Mm -hmm. we come off the back of the episode where... Villanelle's done this amazing kill in Amsterdam just to attract the attention of, of Eve and finds someone's, you know, Eve's ignored her because she hasn't turned up. I mean, that's actually for different reasons, as we know from the other side right. of the story. Mm-hmm. But in Villanelle's head, she's sort of, I've been, you know, I've been stood up for the first time ever and I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling the sense of hurt and love and, you know, and the pain that comes with 
you know, the idea of love, whether she actually, you know, because she's also a psychopath, so whether that actually is the case. So the idea, it, the cut in between them was about getting the moments of watching Villanelle be vulnerable. And then there's a little bit with Eve and Sandra, and Sandra does this amazing thing where she puts her hair in, and then she seems to roll her shoulders back and stand up straighter. And it's very minimal and very subtle, but she does it, and it's it's. And then you think, okay, well that's her sort of. I'm um, because um, she's getting drawn more into the game as well, and you know she's just found the ghost and all that sort of stuff. So she's suddenly feeling more confident about herself. And on the previous episode, obviously we had in episode three, if you see it. We also end with a mirror, but it's Sandra on her own with the lipstick, which cuts the lip. Of, you know, it's a lipstick from Villanelle, and it, it cuts her lip. It was hard to cut. I still watch it sometimes go, oh, God, should I have had a couple of frames there? You know, it's still, I sit in pain when I watch it. <laughs> well, whenever you do, just glance over at your Ace Eddie <laughs> yes, and go, I yeah. think I got it right. Yeah. Maybe I'll just wear it around my neck or something so I can look at it straight away, yeah. It's uh, quite heavy, actually. It, the interesting thing, and, and again, for those, most people probably won't, will not have seen the episode or won't remember specifics if they have the seen, seen the episode. Going into that, song which you used you know which mm-hmm. worked so beautifully obviously before that is nothing there is no audio there's an the entire scene plays right with zero underscore yeah. what i loved was the moment the music comes in because the scene plays so quiet no sound no dialogue for the entire scene and then boom music comes in oh in some respects it's um, about the length of the track, because mm-hmm. the other thing, the other thing you have to do in Killing Eve, which I found, is when when we get manage to get the music during the edit and the fine cut, and we it's music we're going to use. You're almost creating fifty second pop songs mm. because you've got to get up and down. I mean, I think that whole scene's probably about fifty five seconds, but the actual track's about three and a half minutes. So one of the things you're doing in a really practical way is you're trying to get a bit of verse, a bit of swell, a bit of growth, a bit of chorus, and then get out on the door slam, you know, so you know, there's a practical sort of side to the cut. But then the trouble is when you do that, you, you certainly see a moment of change in, say, like Eve or Sandra's eyes where you think, okay, this is where I want to start. Do you know what I mean? Where I want to start, this track is there because she's almost giving me the signal with what she's doing. And then that can sometimes be difficult because then you're going, oh, God, hold on, this is not going to fit the track though. So I'm going to have to then go on a sort of two, three-hour mission of cutting down the track to, to, to try and fit it to everything else. So it's it's a constant um, battle of of logistics of making that, making it work and also making the story work. So I think the music shifted around like anything. So the start... Yeah, I think it's a mixture of practical choice, but at the same time, taking the cue from Sandra and Eve in that that moment. And I think there's a little look. She's very good at sort of tiny little looks. She's amazing to watch. And I think that's where she gave... She just she puts her hair up, doesn't she? I'm trying to remember now. She puts her hair up and then there's a little sort of just moment. But there's something in that moment where you just thought, Do you know what, if... A bit of music started in your head at the moment. You're thinking about something, and then it's yeah. So it's there. So I, I don't know. It's instinct. Practical practicality is an instinct. Maybe I don't know. So hearing you talk it makes me think. I just got a believe it or not. This morning I got an email from one of the actors on a film I'm working with. They're they're letting he's a one of the lead actors, and they're letting him look at some of the cuts. And he actually thanked me for an edit. And what it made me realize when <laughs> I, when I got this email was. Yeah. I've never met the guy, but I feel like I know him because you are looking so intimately <laughs> at these characters for hours and hours. Ever, I mean, you don't dude. look at your wife that intimately for 12, you know, yeah, eight hours a day. Well, just, that's one of the wonderful, bizarre <laughs> things about our job, isn't it? You're absolutely right. You know the ticks, especially I think if you work on a show a really long time. And then you start to hope that they do things when rushes are coming in, you've read the script, maybe you think, oh, come on. And, you know, with Killing Eve and the sort of actors we've got, you get, you do get it and you get it 
in abundance and more than you want, to be honest with you. So you do, you do start to preempt their visual ticks and stuff. That's nice to get a thank you as well, isn't it? That was good. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. There's another great scene. I call it the security guard scene when Eve comes home and, and her husband's in the house with this guy yeah. that he did not expect to be sitting there in his house. Was, she's been given security because of the danger of her job and the husband's not happy yeah. that this guy is invading their privacy. And there's a wonderful talk they have. You know, they step aside from the security guard and... Just talk to me about the moment, like choosing performance and how you build. Yeah. The husband's setup is a really nice guy. And just talk, and, and Eve's kind of trying to be tough and, hey, my love, life is difficult, but then he kind of breaks her with telling her how much he loves her. Yeah, so definitely, it's, definitely. It's, it's, uh, and it's a real scene. I think Killing Eve, we always talk about trying to, because there's so much lunacy and cartoonishness about it in some respects that... You, you then get these moments of of realness, which brings everything back down to earth. And he's, that's the there's a little bit where he sort of says, "Come back," you know. And she's saying, "This is my job. This is what I do." And he's saying, "Well, no, that's not. You know, it's not the person I know." And it's a very raw, lovely sort of scene, really. And I think you're led by the actors, and you you know you almost become the actors in the sense that you're trying to pierce through him trying to get to Eve and her sort of... She's putting up barriers to him. So you're you almost playing the part of him slightly of trying to break through her and and getting the response, you know. So you're, you're creating the arc of that story and that, that scene. So, yeah, I do think you almost, you know, you, you have a duty of taking all these brilliant performances and almost becoming like them and almost saying, how would they want me to, where do they think the best bits are and, and be led by them. And then again, going back to the thing about the rhythm, it basically boils down to where do you want to be next? And when you've got all the material and elements in front of you, we're very privileged that we can do that. But the key is just watching everything. Sure. You talk about kind of the wackiness. I don't want you, that's not even the right term. It's just really off kilter uh, feeling of most of it. You know, Villanelle plays a lot of this episode in a in some weird, like, pig costume. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then there, the, the other beautiful performance moment where you just go, this is just a very real scene, is in the airport when a stranger sits down next to uh, Sandra, uh, Eve, and says, and thinks she's an addict. <laughs> oh, what, in, in episode oh, one? Oh, is that episode one? Oh, that's yeah, right. it's episode, that's one. episode it's br- one. It's brilliant, though. It is I, I watched a couple oh, yeah. today, so I, I'm just getting them confused. But, like, that's yeah, just a great scene, where, and her acting is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, and, and also, it goes back to, again, one of those scenes where you, you kind of, in some, in your normal drama head, you go, oh, do you know what, do we really need this? Because, and then you go, yeah, yeah, you do, because that's, that's what makes Killing Eve, Killing Eve. You throw, you go left of centre slightly for a bit, and it, but it makes sense to do that. And, it, and it's character and it's, it's all those things, but um, let it breathe for a bit and enjoy it. So, yeah, yeah, it's a great scene, yeah. Usually I ask, like, why do you think your colleagues felt like this was you know, that they should nominate you and that you should win. What, and one of the scenes, it's hard, right? Like that's a difficult question for everybody to answer. But one of the scenes that I really, you know, sometimes it's that the editing, there's some scene where the editing is uh, obvious, right? That, that you, you, yeah. you know, like, wow, there was editing there. So much of what we yeah. do, of course, you don't want that to be seen. But I think of the club scene with the drugs when Villanelle is on drugs, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that scene. And did you cut that mute or did you have sound design or do you have music when you were trying to cut that? Because otherwise it's kind of, I don't know, choosing I, the shots yeah. is kind of formless in that she's just kind of zonked out. And The story behind that one and the music is, if you remember, there's a guy hitting drums in the club and singing. Mm-hmm. Well, he's actually a friend of the director in Switzerland. He's a musician. <laughs> and so I got, um, Lisa sent me, I was on holiday in Turkey before we started filming. I suddenly got this email saying, I've got two tracks. Can you have a listen? Which ones do you like? They're from my mate 
he's this is his music and we we sort of fell upon that piece of music out of the two because it told more again it had um a great sound to it but it also had a bit of a score it was almost like score in some respects so if you think how what we do with it throughout the whole scene is it starts off being just atmosphere then it breaks into the slow-mos and it becomes part of and also we did a very heavy soundscape on that as well it does a number of jobs that track throughout the the scene again because then we then go in it's then background as she's recovering in the toilet and then the fight and then we bring it back again at the end for when she's holding the the girl up so we had that from the start because he was going to be in it so the music was always there but regardless of that if even if i hadn't had that i would not have personally cut that scene without putting music to it because i can't see how you know some people i don't know I, i i can't see how you'd get the tone of that right without finding that i i think it's it's instrumental to that scene and i don't think it would have been nearly as successful a scene without that and i think that's foresight on lisa's part she decided very early this is i want i know what the music i want it to be and then she sent it to me and we played with it and we made it the score effectively throughout so no i I don't think i could have cut i certainly would never have cut that without music and without soundscape we know we did a lot of work offline on soundscape and i had a and a second assistant i think he's the first assistant now chap called james sheen stevens who is brilliant on sound so we we played around with that so i would credit him with sort of creating the ideas around it as well so he he sort of did a lot of work with it and we brought it all together it just gave an atmosphere to it and because we didn't have many shots to you know they had to shoot it really quickly so there's not actually many shots there either. You know, we had the clubbers, which they, you know, they were in a rush. They got the clubbers at 50 frames and all that sort of stuff. But if you look at the shots of Villanelle, they're largely the same shots. We're just jumping. So I think the soundscape and the music just allowed us to, we weren't concerned about it because it was telling the story and it was atmospheric and all that sort of stuff, you know. But it was a gift, do you know what I mean? It's one of those things where you hear the music and you suddenly go, oh, God, do you know what? If the scene's half as good as this music, and then as the scene came in, you then think to yourself, hold on, I can use this right through to when Constantine turns up. It became the score, effectively. We got lucky, but I think that's because Lisa had that idea. I think that was very helpful. And the sound design definitely sold a lot of, you know, the drugginess of it and the and the out the whacked out part of it. And so I was really interested to hear that 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 was part of the uh, your creative cut. They took that and sort of embellished it and did sort of a lot more amazing work with it than we had. But I personally think you know cuts are becoming more like that anyway to sell to execs when you you know to sell the idea. I think people want and expect a lot more and I think we have the the ability to deliver a lot more in the offline like you say and also not being afraid of getting other assistants and people like that involved as well and but also giving them the credit for it do you know what I mean and I think that's I think that's key because that's then you know I, I, I tinkered with it but James James sort of, you know, I said to him, what do you think? And he came back with some sort of amazing, some mad ideas, which I was like, going, all right, mate. Um, but some great ideas. If you approach the edit suite or the edit department, i.e. you know people just don't want to sink rushes, they want to cut, they want to do that, then I think, you know, if, you, if you're confident in yourself, you let people do that and you get a much better feel to the show, to me, you just get a much better show and you, you can deliver something in the offline, which is more interesting. Yeah, I just did a little talk yesterday for on the web. And one of the things that somebody asked me about was, oh, it's so collaborative. What do you do with all these people that you ha-? And it seemed like they said that you have to collaborate with. And I'm like, yeah. man, <laughs> as long as you take it from the viewpoint that everybody wants the best for the show then you're happy to turn it over to an yeah. assistant and say, hey, take, you know, what can you do with this for me? And I also, yeah, I also think it's dangerous. If you think you're the only person with all the ideas, <laughs> right. you're in a bad place. It's, uh-huh. it, it's, a, it's a collaborative 
art form. And it's at its best when it's collaborative. And, you know, editors have to, you know, we have to, we spend our lives doing stuff for people to say, no, I don't like that and all that sort of, you know, so you, 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 <laughs> you, you, your skin gets thick, but you, you just got to be, yeah, when it's at its best, you're, uh, yeah, when you're at its best, I think be confident in allowing people ideas in and then other ideas grow from that. So I think you've just got to, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me, uh, my wife was complaining about how I cleaned some dish the other day and, and, and she said, you just don't like having people tell you that you're wrong. And I'm like, that's all I hear all day <laughs> long. I say, yeah. Yeah. I say that to my kids. I said 95% of my time. And I say that to assistants as well. And people when, or maybe people earlier on in their editing career and they come out and go, God, that's not, you know, I said, look, you're just going to have to, you know, that's going to be your life. It's hard and it's painful and it's annoying, but you've, what you've got to do is you've got to take it and then you've got to work out. And then it's the next thing of going, well, actually, maybe that's not quite what they're saying and come back with something else. And generally, you know, on the whole, you come back with things which are better, you know, and you find ways, you know, I don't mind being pushed, actually, so... And and do you find even like a bad note, right, can lead you in the right direction? Yeah, because I've always been told by directors, you know, when I first started out editing, I'd go, oh, God, come on, that's just not... And I said, yeah, but that might not be the note. All they're doing is they're pointing out a, a position of a pain problem. that they're not... A problem. They're not articulating the problem and we could probably come up with something better. But they are highlighting a problem. And I think that's how you approach it. You go, all right, I'm not just... I'm not just going to do it if it sounds like I'm ignoring it, but I'm not just going to do the note. I'm going to work out why they're not liking it and come back with something better. And I think that's the way you approach notes. And you're going to get them for the rest of your life. So, so you just see what I mean? Um, if you don't deal with notes well, this might not be the job for you. This isn't the job for you, without a doubt, yeah. You've got <laughs> become a painter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you are an artist, aren't you? But you've got to give the paintbrushes back. They're not yours. So <laughs> I think that's the deal. So, um, yeah. That is. And uh, sometimes you have to paint with the color they tell exactly, you. Exactly, yeah. Okay, I just want some more blue. Okay. <laughs> and grab the blue paintbrush. Yeah, but that's when you, stick the that's when you say, ah, oh, but do you want a bit of gray? That's right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, like, I don't know. Anyway, I'm still really fascinated about the music for the show. Like, I remember the first episode of season two. There's a great scene where Villanelle's like somehow got herself in the trunk of this family's car, and when she gets out and walks away, there's a great track as she kind of tips toes away in these bizarre pajamas. <laughs> All the music is just so good. I, it, it's really great music. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's down to. Uh, brilliant music supervisor that's what it comes down to i mean left to my own devices i wouldn't know any of the tracks that they deliver do you mean i I love music but there's no way in the world and david holmes is the composer as well so they they work closely together so they send you you know like the end of season two i think they sent us something like 300 tracks and we just shoved them on my phone and just would listen to them constantly. I want those tracks. <laughs> oh, they are. There are some extraordinary tracks in there. And nothing I could come up with. So that's what, that's where supervisors earn their money is because they, you know, they understand the show and they just deliver stuff which is, because they're not just decent tracks. There's sort of texture and there's character and all that sort of stuff to it. So... I think um, there's one at the end of episode three when she cuts her lip again, which is, I want to screw you. And I can remember hearing that the first time and going, oh, my God. And then you, you suddenly think, oh, has it been used in any other episodes? You start to panic because you think, oh, somebody <laughs> used it already. Um, but fortunately, that one hadn't been used and, and others. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's just... I think there's another one in four where evil grows, which is the bit when she's sitting on the bridge um, in the pink dress and she tells the girl to go away and get a life. And I can, I can remember that track, come, you know, listening to that track and just thinking, oh, do you know what, whatever, you know, they've just delivered another gem, the supervisor and, and David, and, and if we could fit that in in some way, it would be amazing. So, yeah, it's you're blessed because the, they... For all the tracks we don't use, there are about 20 or 30 other absolute 
sort of gems. And then how are you interacting with that music supervisor? Are you, you know, giving him notes, for example? The notes nah. don't go just one direction. Do you say, hey, I need this, this, that was great, but I feel like the tone needs to be darker or? Um, to be honest, like, no, because they deliver such. Good stuff. So much good stuff. And then, you know, and then they will have a process where they go, well, actually, you know, later on, once we finish the fine cut, they're, you know, they're heavily involved with the director and they'll say, well, actually, maybe this is better and that's better. But um, they just deliver amazing music and you've got this pattern. And then you then got the sort of back, you've got the back of that where they, we can't clear a track and David, or you've got David's score and then you go, well, actually, forget about it we don't even need that track because David scores fantastic and you know we just again it's just getting lucky <laughs> in that sense it's people doing their job really well which makes your life easier and makes your stuff look really good and decent one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning of the interview was that you really base things off performance can you think of another a scene or can you think of more ways that maybe in another episode how performance drove it or how you were able to enhance the performance through editing i'll talk about I'll talk about two things i think editors can enhance performance i think it'd be wrong of me to directly talk about where and when mm-hmm, sure um but i but we do you know and everyone knows we can do that um there's a scene at the start of episode three which is after she's killed the guy in the lift. So Joe Villanelle's killed the guy and then she walks, she literally walks away down, there's like a shot where she walks towards the camera and walks off. And the first two takes are coming of, of that. And they were, I mean, you would have used the, both of them happily. I can remember on the rushes sort of Jodie, you could hear Jodie sort of saying, no, 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 I think I can do this better. Literally, the one that came after, which was the one we used, was just sort of like 30 40% better. It's where she placed herself and her understanding where the camera was and stuff and when to make the smile, because she has a little wry smile to herself as she walks away. But she hits the mark, and it's it's those moments where you're led, where you go, um, especially with all the characters in Killing Eve, you just go, actually, no, 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 there's nothing for me to do here because they're they're leading... I mean, they're, they're giving you these... The only thing you start to do is then to worry that, that you mess it up because there's so much good stuff going on that you think, oh, God, if I get this wrong, <laughs> they're going to come looking for you. Um, so it's... Yeah, I think the editor's skill is on both sides of that is, is knowing when you're going to have to give it a bit of help and you're going to have to go hunting. And that usually comes from notes from producers and execs saying this isn't delivering what we want. And then there's other times, there's the other skills of just going, knowing when something's on point and you don't really need to touch it because it's working. Yeah, great advice. And one of the little tips that I heard you kind of allude to in that, what you just said earlier was, you watched the first two takes of a Villanelle walking towards the camera and you would have used either one of them, but you heard her say, I think I can do it better. Is that correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, as I, you know, it's a couple of years ago now, but I, I can remember her sort of saying, I'm, I'm sure of it. I don't know if I'm just thinking, but she, you could hear her just saying off, off camera going, no, no, I think I could do this better. I could do this better. And sure enough, you know, she more than delivered it. Sometimes when directors are doing resets without changing a take, you can hear directions in what they say between the reset. Like, oh, reset, I want to do this for this purpose. And do you take those notes? Do, is that something that you are listening to um, uh, to go, oh, give me a hint? Yeah, I think they're handy. I, th- I think you'd be, I'm thinking of something I did on this season with a director, Damon Thomas, and I could hear him talking a lot to Jodie for one particular scene. And I definitely got a nod thinking, oh, okay, I see what you're trying to get at here. Which is, you, which is more than notes, continuity notes. You sort of start to get a hint of where he's, he wants the scene to go, and then you can hear Jodie sort of saying, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I could do this, this and this. So... And then, especially when it works, you know, you don't have to try and think, well, I'm going to ignore that because I want to go my own way. You know, you just go with it and go, yep, yeah, no, that's cool. That's working. 
Um, yeah. One of the things that some I've heard some editors do uh, because of that very thing that, you know, the, the director is slowly evolving the performances throughout the takes and throughout the setups is a lot of people, when they watch dailies, watch dailies backwards. Oh, okay. Take, take eight back to take one because they know eight is where the director got to where they wanted to get. And then you can kind of see backwards and other people do them the other way because then they see how the performances and how the scene evolves. Yeah. Oh, I've never heard that. That's interesting. I, I, I'd like to... You must be a one to eight guy. I'm a one to... Yeah, I'm definitely a one to, one to eight guy. Yeah, without a doubt. Because uh, I don't I think it really probably matters either way, does it? Because you, you, you go through like a scaling system anyway in, in your head where you're going, oh, I really love four or I really love three or, you know. And I just, I mark the timeline as I go with my dots. So my timelines are just full of oh, great look there, nice eye flick. I, I look at eyes a lot and, you know what I mean, uh, non-verbal stuff. And try and mark that down. So I'm constantly stopping and marking stuff and going, okay, no, no, I like that. And especially with Killing Eve, you know, when there's, you've got sort of actors throwing so many good bits at you, I just try and annotate and then go back and try and find it. So I'm constantly evaluating the rushes as I go along. Putting in more locators instead of doing selects reels or doing both, or do you not do selects reels? I don't do selection. I do. I just watch everything, and I put locators on, and then go back and have my locators thing up. Sometimes I go back and I go, "What? Well, I don't know what I've even written there." But um, sometimes it it sort of makes sense. And but it just it's just an aid to idea. Oh, there was something great there. And also, if I if I've put a, once I've assembled the scene, I then go back over to all the locators and go, "Okay, have I forgotten about something?" And then just double check what you know each location and then just to make sure i haven't missed something that i really loved what do you do from that point like how do you assemble a scene do you just so that as you said you don't do selects reels so now you're just choosing what's the first shot that i want to start the scene on and then where do i go from that shot yeah it depends on the nature of the scene it depends on also how you're feeling that day in the country (laughs) i mean because sometimes you're just knackered you know, you've got children, you know, <laughs> and and sometimes, you know, so if you get like a a really long, I don't know, 10-page dialogue scene, part of you go, oh, God, you know, this is, you almost, you, I don't want to feel, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I get so scared, rabbit in the headlights, that I don't want to touch it at all. So if I get a really long dialogue scene, sometimes I'll, I'll take the two best takes of the takes between two characters. And I set myself a target going, I'm going to cut the scene with just those two shots. And I'm literally going to cut the scene in an hour. And I'm literally, so I'm literally almost like I'm just dropping dialogue in. Mm-hmm. So I'm going, okay, they say that, they say that, this is your best, this is your best, this is your best. Go back and watch it and go, okay, well, that's very blocky and I'm not seeing that there and all that and then start to mould it that way and then start to bring in other shots so then sometimes I'll have a scene where I just see a shot that I just think oh that's brilliant and start from you know I'm very I'm not very formulaic in any way it's probably a good thing right Uh, well yeah I hope so Um, but I just I don't I don't um, set any constraints on how I should approach anything Sometimes, you know, we've got some music. I've been thinking about the music and I'll, I'll play around with that. I try and do things to constantly um, upend the process so that I'm not getting bored. Do, do you remember? You know, sometimes you can sit in the cutting room and you can drift. So I try to change it around a bit and just try and, you know, I find, I mean, assemblies, I find sort of, I really. I have a sort of really active assembly process. I really do thump the material around a bit and try and make it work and get to understand it and all the sort of connectors and what the possibilities are. Do you know what I mean? It's like getting your team together and trying to match up who's, you know, if it's football in in this country, you know, who who do I want up, who do I want, you know, in midfield? And it's all those sorts of things, try and work out combinations and stuff. So... And in order to do that, I sort of don't 
if I suddenly go down a path, I'm not suddenly going, oh, God, no, I can't do that. Because I just, you know, I try not to, I just want to be diff- trying things differently all the time and not, um, yeah, not getting so panicked that I don't touch the keyboard. Sometimes for me, that's just, okay, I'm going to pick an easier scene. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but but I think that's, that's that's a really good point as well. Is you know, I people ask me like when you get a really big scene, like ten pages. So what do you do? And I said, well, I'll do the first two minutes of it, and then I'll go off and do something else. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, what do you mean? I said, well, no, I'll break it down into three small scenes because I know if I try to do that whole scene on its own. I'll skip. I I'll drift off, and I won't be effective. So, if I can say, okay, I'll get a really big scene over a week, which is ten pages. I'll do two minutes of that a day, and then fit everything else around that, and come back to it. And the other thing is, it gives that old idea of thinking time, sleeping on it. Yeah, completely, and coming back to it. And you know, in the old days when they cut film, everyone had that by the virtue of the process. But I think now. We have to artificially create that. Yeah. So where where you were waiting for an assistant to bring you, uh, I need that shot, and now you've got a minute or something, two minutes, yeah, whatever it is, while they bring the shot to you, you you're thinking. Yeah, yeah. So we, we and you know, or you know, directors would watch an edit years and years ago, and then give notes and go away for three weeks or something. Do you mean it's it's. You've got to generate thinking time. You can't just hammer at it all the time. I agree. Well, it's getting late for you. I know it's almost 10 o'clock there. I just thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Dan. Ah, Uh, Pleasure. I'm so sorry that I've taken so long to get to you. (laughs) No, no, not at all. It was a pleasure talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) A pandemic finally slowed you down enough to talk to me. I did not start this so that I could get an interview. I just want to make that completely clear to everyone. No, well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. So, um, yeah. Dan, great talking to you. Thank you so much. Take care. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Art of the Cut podcast. Also, check out ProVideoCoalition.com for more than 200 interviews with the world's top editors. Or read the book Art of the Cut Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a topic-driven curated experience. Thanks again to my guest, Dan Crinian, ACE. I'm Steve Hallfish. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Steve Hallfish. Also, subscribe to this podcast and give it a review, please. Then be sure to spread the word and tell a filmmaking or film loving friend.